listening to the Cornerstone Tulsa podcast. Our mission is to cultivate a community shaped by the gospel for the renewal of all things. If you'd like to learn more about our church, you can visit our website at cornerstonetulsa.org or find us on social media. And with that, let's hop into this week's teaching. Today's first reading comes from Isaiah 55. Come, all who are thirsty, come to the waters, and you who have no mercy, money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without cost. Why spend money on what is not bread, and your labor on what does not satisfy? Listen, listen to me, and eat what is good, and you will delight in the richest of fare. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord, and he will have mercy on them, and to our God, for he will freely pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven, and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish, so, so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater. So is my word that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish what I desire and achieve the purpose for which I sent it. Our second reading comes from Matthew 13. And then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed, and he scattered his seed. Some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still, other seed fell on good soil where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Y'all can take a seat. Church, good morning. Are you ready? Okay. Jesus makes two really crucial comments in his teaching in the Gospels about pearls. It's going to help us out this morning as we're thinking about this passage in Isaiah 55 and then this other passage in Matthew chapter 13. The first time Jesus brings up pearls and the Gospels is in the Sermon on the Mount. Jesus says, do not give dogs what is sacred and do not throw your pearls to pigs. If you do, they may trample them under their feet and then turn and tear you to pieces. What on earth does this mean? Well, pigs have no appreciation for something that is precious and desirable like a pearl. Neither do dogs. So Jesus is saying, don't waste a precious gift, something that is sacred, on someone who's not going to be able to appreciate it or someone who will treat it with scorn. And this has really broad application. The other time Jesus brings up pearls is in describing what the kingdom of heaven is like. He says in Matthew 13, later in this chapter, 
He says, again, the, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant who's looking for fine pearls. And when he found one of great value, he went away and he sold everything he had in order to buy that pearl. The merchant saw the value and then risked everything in order to acquire this thing that was so very precious. And these images are helpful for us to keep in mind as we come to the Scriptures. They serve as a kind of interpretive key because they demonstrate how God tends to teach people, how God tends to approach instructing people like you and me. In the Gospels, Jesus usually doesn't speak in plain speech. Sometimes you're like, you kind of want to shake him, like, what are you talking about? Instead, Jesus chooses this enigmatic language, feels like riddles at times. He often employs these parables. And the people who really want to learn are going to ask a follow-up question, like, hey, real quick, no clue what you're talking about, but I'm very interested. Or they'll wrestle, they'll ponder, they'll, they'll seek him out, they'll seek out his disciples in order to ask questions, enter an interrogative process. And on those people who really have no interest, they, they may have heard what he said, Jesus in the present time and during his incarnation is not going to force a hearing on them. It's because Jesus knows two things to be true. It's why he takes this approach, this pearl approach to teaching. One, he knows that people unmotivated to learn usually don't. Some of you will learn nothing from this sermon. No judgment. The other thing that Jesus knows to be true is that people can only hear you when they're moving toward you. Uh, Nina and Max and I talk as we're like refining the craft of preaching that when you preach, you're looking for the friendly faces. You're looking for the nodders. You're looking for the people who are leaning in. Thank you, John. Thank you. Thank you. People can only hear you when they're moving toward you. And so as is often the case in the Scriptures, God acts, God does stuff, or Jesus will say stuff in a way that is cryptic, that feels a little bit esoteric, or the meaning is just out of reach, and He seems perfectly fine with not being immediately understood. God does not rush. Instead, He entices. He does not coerce. He allures. And then he waits. The scriptures say the eyes of the Lord roam to and fro throughout the earth, seeking hearts that are fully his, looking for those people that are moving toward him, that are leaning in. And we see this strategy at play in both Isaiah 55 and in Matthew 13 today, where we have a text whose meaning is a little bit elusive. In Isaiah, if you you paid attention, you may want to keep it open for a little bit this morning. In Isaiah, God promises to give bread for the hungry, but He doesn't hand out bread. Instead, He causes the rain to fall on the earth, making the earth bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eager. People are saying, we're hungry. Why give us rain? We want bread. But God is supplying the bread. But he's inviting people into this cooperative, interactive process with him, whereby he grows not only seed for the sower and bread for the eater, but also grows these people in the process. Similarly, in Matthew, Jesus tells this parable of the sower to the great crowds that had gathered around to hear him. 
but he doesn't extend to them the invitation, he does the interpretation. He does that later with the disciples, but in the moment, he just says, let those with ears hear, and he leaves it at that. Jesus, again, is inviting a cooperative process. He's beckoning the people who are motivated and curious to move toward him in wrestling through the meaning of his words. Now, now picture these two passages that we've listened to. Isaiah 55, come all you who are hungry and thirsty. Then he talks about the rain that falls on the land causing the, the, the harvest to grow, so there's seed for the sower and bread for the eater, and then we've got the whole parable of the sower. And it strikes me that both of these uh, passages in Scripture employ natural imagery, or they employ agricultural pictures. Isaiah says, the rain waters the earth and it brings forth life, and in a similar way, so God's Word works. As the Scriptures go out, as God's Word goes out, it, it, it brings forth life. Jesus puts a little bit of a finer point on it when he differentiates the, the responsiveness of different people based on the soil conditions of their heart. People respond differently according to their own life situation, the, 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 the terrain within. And here's a really key insight for me from the Scriptures, and it's that God tends to work in alignment with the natural processes of creation. God tends to work in alignment with the natural processes that are out there. Now, there you can think of examples in Scripture where just bread appears on the ground. But here in Isaiah, bread is going to come about in the normal way that bread comes about. Wheat grows. It's harvested. It's milled. It's baked. Similarly, the, the process, you, the, the seed that falls among the thorns and the trail and the good soil grows pretty much how you would expect it to grow. The Scripture suggests that God tends to work in alignment with the natural processes of creation. But a big problem for us is that we are deeply out of touch with how creation works. For us, food does not come from the ground. Or I should say, for the majority of us, food does not come from the ground. Food comes from the grocery store. And the advances that have enabled us at any time of the year to walk into the grocery store and get an avocado, something that's really great, reflects like a high quality of life unprecedented in human history, those same advances have blinded us to the reality of how nature actually works. And so it consequently robs us of an, in, like an, an, an intimate understanding of what it's like to bring forth our food from the earth. It, it robs us of the ability to intuitively understand when we read passages like this of how the natural processes unfold in the world that God made. It robs us of the ability to understand how people grow and how God's kingdom actually grows and advances. So let's do a little bit of an imaginative exercise here. Um, some of you, I thought it was funny listening to, we were saying firm foundation, and rain came, wind blew, but my house was built on you. And it might have been a little bit too soon to sing that for some people. <laughs> and similarly, at least in our neighborhood, we had a, you know, the storm come through this last week, and there was a power flash for some people, and it was like, PTSD, Andrea knows what I'm talking about. She's like, too soon. But I want you to imagine, I want you to go back to a month ago when for many of us, the power went off. And you remember, you're like, oh, what do we have in the fridge? Emily and I had just gone to the grocery store, perfect timing. 
But imagine you're back in that moment, the power has gone out, but then I want you to imagine that the power never comes back on. Now, the preppers in the room are leaning forward because you're like, this is what we've been waiting for. We're ready for this. So all of a sudden, you're taking inventory of the fridge. You're like, well, we're going to grill whatever meat we've got in there. We're having a barbecue. Uh, the, the grocery stores are immediately sold out of literally everything. Even like the pickled pig's feet, people are like, I'll try it. We'll see. For a while, that works. Then the grocery stores are empty, so you get in your car. Maybe you drive a little bit of a distance, raid other convenience stores, QT, uh, grocery stores at a distance. But then if, if we have, have what happened like last time, gas starts going out. Even if you've got a generator, you've got no source to get food. And all of a sudden, like days are going by, weeks are getting by, your kids are getting grouchy, you're getting a little grouchy yourself, and you're like, what in tarnation are we going to eat? And you hear that some people, and not only the preppers, that some people have food, and they grew this food in their backyards. Like, I don't know how it happened, but you want to find out all of a sudden. You're like, okay, so they, they went to their, their fridge where the tomatoes were rotting, and they pull out the seeds, and you're like, so you tell me, if I put this in the dirt in a decent soil, and if I put a little bit of water on this, and I give a little time to this, and God gives a little bit of sun to this, that, wow, this, this stuff actually works. It begins to grow. You're watering your plants and your vegetables. You're praying to God that it would work. And in time, you're yielding food from the earth like you've discovered a hidden superpower. And you're like, this is so cool. All of a sudden, everybody gets really interested in urban farming. People are buying chickens. Uh, we also discover along the way that there are growing seasons, that you can't just grow everything you want all the time. There are some things that you can't grow even if you really want to in our uh, environment. We also begin to pray with new fervor about the weather. You're like, Lord, please give us rain because we want bread. What would happen is that we would have an awakening to the natural processes of how people in all of human history have fed themselves, hunting and gathering, the natural processes that God has put in place to supply our needs. And then we could come back to these scriptures about how God causes rain to fall on the ground, causing things to bud and to flourish, giving seed to the sower and food to the eager. We read the parable of the sower and you're like, I discovered that in my backyard. And we would read the scriptures in a new and a fresh way. And what I'm getting at is that as we read the scriptures, we think about these natural processes and how God works. We need to agree with God about how his world works. And in doing so, to align ourselves with the natural cycles of his kingdom. Not only of the natural world, but also the kingdom that is unfolding through the ministry of Jesus Christ. What would that look like? Well, a couple of years ago, 2020, terrible year for everybody. Um, we're all alone. We're, we're worn out. We're cranky. We're figuring out how to stream services, which is never something that we believed in in the past. And it's just kind of a cranky, lonely time. And I was having an executive coach, and we were talking through that season, and, and Dwayne said, hey, can I point something out to you? Um, he, said, he said, do you notice that you always use mechanical imagery to describe yourself? It's like, what are you talking about? Well, you say things like you're firing on all cylinders or like, you know, you like shift into high gear or you're burnt out. I'm like, huh. 
And I started thinking about the stress dream that I'd had the night before where I've got a car full of people and I'm hurtling through the streets of Tulsa at like breakneck speeds and I'm running red lights and cars are coming in all directions and I'm like a stress dream where you wake up sweaty. He said, can I just point out that you talk about yourself like you are a machine? He brings this up and I begin to to think about, like, why do I say that I'm tired all the time and why am I frustrated? Well, it appears to be the case that I'm not agreeing with God about how I'm made. I'm behaving as if I'm a machine, but I am not a machine. God took the dust and the Lord God formed the man out of the dust and into that dust he breathed the breath of life and he became a living being. I'm a creature. I need work and I need rest. I have a body that has to be maintained. It's kind of like the bizarre comedian that me and two people in this room will know, Emo Phillips. He says, I pray a simple prayer every morning. It's an ecumenical prayer, whether you're Catholic or Jewish or Muslim or Hindu. I think it speaks to the heart of every religion. And the prayer goes, Lord, please break the laws of the universe for my convenience. Amen. I wanted to treat myself like a machine, but I am not a machine. By disagreeing with God about how I was made, I was wearing myself out. How many of us are like that? I saw just this week that the actor Chris Pratt, uh, who played Andy Dwyer on Parks and Recreation, a really fun character, said that while he was playing Andy in in a lot of the seasons of the show, that he was pounding like five cheeseburgers a day for lunch. And the eating part was really fun, and the in-between part was really, really awful. He said, I'd live in a constant state of, oh my gosh, I'm stinking sick. He said, and that was happiness for me at the time. He said, now it's the exact opposite. Food is boring, but the times in between, I feel great. At the beginning, in his eating, he was attempting to defy how God's world works. He wanted to eat like a 15-year-old adolescent, but feel great the rest of the time, but that was not his reality. He wanted to enjoy a time of, 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 of like <laughs> eating way too much and getting away with it, and it didn't work. So he aligned himself with how God's world works, with the natural processes of the kingdom, and things went way differently for him. There's this Christian regenerative farmer, you can go look up what regenerative farming means later, named Joel Salatin. And uh, it's funny, I've never thought about his name, kind of sounds like salad, Joel Salatin. And uh, in the 80s, where he lived in the country, was going through this massive drought. And some construction workers had been working near his house for a period of months, and they were just amazed that while everything else was brown, the the land was just sucked dry of all nutrients and and moisture, Salatin's farm just looked lush and green and amazing. And so as these construction workers are finishing up their project, they go to Salatin and ask him, "How how did you make this work? Salatin said, I broke out in a big smile and emphatically said, we're redeeming the earth. His quizzical expression, just like yours, belied both interest and incredulity. I explain our mob stock, herbivorous, solar conversion, lignified carbon sequestration, fertilization. I told him about multi-speciation, hydration, carbon building. 
It was all part of a carefully choreographed participatory interaction with this farm that God wanted us to steward. What a wonderful launch pad to explain the claims of Christ on the landscape of people's hearts. He says, have you ever heard the phrase, worn out farm? That must break the heart of God. What He made good and regenerative has been ravaged by people made in His image, clever, observant, and calculating. To deplete the land is like throwing your spiritual heart away. The whole idea of repentance is to agree with God that His way is the right way. And the result is spiritual productivity. By agreeing with God about how His world works best, Salatin was defying the experience of so many other people. He was enjoying a time of plenty, of muchness, while the experience of so many other people was a season of want, a season that was meager. In a similar way, in our world right now, there are men and women and all over the globe who are experiencing the fullness of life in the kingdom of God. Now, it's not yet what it will be when the veil is removed, when heaven and earth are, are joined forever and God wipes away the tears from our eyes, but there are, maybe even in our church, people right now who are entering into the fullness of life in the kingdom of God who are presently agreeing with God about how His world and how His kingdom works best. The Scriptures say, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A person will reap what they sow. Whoever sows to please their flesh, from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit, from the Spirit will reap eternal life or life in the kingdom. So let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we don't give up. The Christian life is not magical, but it actually follows the natural life cycles of the world that God made in the kingdom that Jesus has inaugurated. In the same way that watering your plants once a month, you know, in an Oklahoma summer is going to yield dead plants, so watering your soul, you know, sowing to please the Spirit once a month or not at all will result in a diminished or a dead faith. Or even one hour a week, if you came every single week, one hour of weekly worship simply won't counteract 25 hours of doom-scrolling social media or gaming or binging Netflix. Uh, a fascinating person that, that you might investigate um, was a missionary to India, a Methodist missionary to India in the middle part of the last century. His name was E. Stanley Jones, a fascinating guy. And in 1942, he wrote this devotional called uh, Abundant Living. That's when it came out. It's in the middle of World War II. And Jones was, was asked the question, where is the kingdom of God in the middle of this war? As someone plaintively put it, someone said to him, I'm wondering when God will come into this war and lend a hand. Where's the kingdom of God, Jones asked? It's here in the very frustrations that are taking place. It is working as self-frustration. 
Since we wouldn't take the kingdom of God as our collective fulfillment, our collective marching orders, we must now take it as our collective frustration. He says we cannot live the way we have been living without having the world we now have. He says when we're at war with the kingdom of God, we are bound to be at war with one another. I'd say again, we need to agree with God about how His world works and align ourselves with the natural processes and the life cycles of His kingdom. Now, here's the really great news about everything that I'm sharing, is the stuff that Jesus said in His very first sermon, repent, the kingdom of God is now at hand, is true. That the kingdom of God, which Jesus inaugurated, is among us. It's present. It's in our world. It's available. It's able to be grasped. And it's present because of everything that Jesus has said and done, the cross, his resurrection, his ascension. It's available to all of us by the Holy Spirit. And Jesus and the Spirit, the Scriptures tell us, are both interceding for you and me that we would respond to the invitation of the kingdom. To all of us who, with patience and with faith, will embrace the rhythms and the realities and the life cycles of the kingdom, there is a harvest now to be had. James says, submit yourselves then to God, resist the devil, and it might work out. No, he says, submit yourselves to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Come near to God, and he will come near to you. Jesus wasn't lying when he said, the kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is among you. And that's good news. Now, simultaneously, this is also sobering news. It's also a, a, a reality that we should consider carefully. Despite the universal availability, the proclamation of the kingdom, if, if you pay attention to the parable of the sower, the sower sows liberally, foolishly, even to those places where it might not grow well. The sobering reality is that there are men and women all over the world who are presently withering who despite the universal availability of the kingdom of God have turned inward on themselves and are shriveling up because they refuse to live in agreement with God about how his world works best. Some are doing so because of ignorance. Some are doing so because of negligence. Some are doing so because of interference and some because of outright defiance. But the result of this is the glory of men and women who have been made in the image of God, that image being diminished in them. And this is a natural, or you could say a self-imposed consequence to saying no again and again and again to God's work. It's like if we could anthropomorphize and go to the mint growing in your backyard and saying, okay, do you want me to water you today? I'm good. And you go the next day and say, okay, Mr. Mint, do you want me to water you today? I'm good. Well, you do that again and again and again and again, and the mint is no longer going to have the capacity to say yes because it has withered and it has died. 
Now, N.T. Wright in a book called Surprised by Hope, which may take you a really long time to read, and it is worth it if you want it, I'll buy it for you, talks about the consequence of habitually saying no and no and no to the way that God works, the way that God's world works. He says, when human beings give their heartfelt allegiance to and worship that which is not God, they progressively cease to reflect the image of God. One of the primary laws of human life is that you become like what you worship. My suggestion is that it is possible for human beings so to continue down this road, so to refuse all whisperings of good news, all glimmers of the true light, all promptings to turn and go the other way, all signposts to the love of God, that they become at last by their own effective choice. Beings that once were human, but now are not. Creatures that have ceased to bear the divine image at all. The kingdom of God is among you. Because God so respects you, because God so respects human dignity, our ability to make choices, that God will honor your wishes and mine when we choose to reject him. And so the prophet says, so seek him while he may be found. Call on him while he's near. Let the wicked forsake their ways and the unrighteous their thoughts. Let them turn to the Lord and he will have mercy on them and to our God for he will freely pardon. The author of Hebrews says, like, today, Today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts. And Bono of you too says, if there is a light, don't let it go out. The kingdom of God is at hand. Here's the truth. You and I were created good. And we were made for fellowship with our creator. But we've been cut off from God by self-centered rebellion against Him. And that has been consequential. It's resulted in lawless living and guilt and shame and death and the fear of judgment. And this is reality for us. But I want you to hear the good news. That God so loves the world, He offers salvation from sin through Son Jesus. And the invitation is for us to repent, which means to agree with God. The way that I'm living doesn't line up with how you said life works best, and I am going to course correct. That's repentance. And Lord, would you give me the grace and the strength and the freedom and the capacity to go your way? Putting my faith in Jesus, who is the way. He himself is truth embodied. He is the life that is truly life. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we are so confused in our thinking. You know, I've heard people say, everybody out there is trying their best. It is not going well. Lord, thank you that you love us so much that you would tell us the truth about ourselves and about your world. 
that even in, the, in created things, you've given us a guide and a model for how your kingdom works, that what we sow, we end up reaping for our life or for our destruction. And Jesus, you know how depleted and tapped our will can be, how blind our eyes can be. And so even for us to choose the way of life, we require the provocation of your Spirit. And I would just say for anyone here where you feel this inner compulsion to lean in toward the person of Jesus, that is the Spirit at work in you. So today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart. Today, choose to live in the kingdom of God. Today, choose to abandon ways that are not in alignment with his kingdom. And God, who is full of mercy, is delighted to welcome you back on the pilgrim's way. Jesus, I pray as we gather today that you pour out your spirit on us all who are gathered here and on these gifts of bread and wine. You know how hungry we are. So make it be more than bread for us and more than wine. Make it be for us the body and the blood of Christ so that we may be for the world the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. Lord Jesus, feed our weary souls. Please heal the sick. Please plant faith in the heart of the one who doubts. Please give fresh will and courage to fight for the one who's tired. Unite the church, Lord Jesus, and may we more fully embody your light and your life to a world that's living in darkness. As I pray in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We're so grateful you listened to this week's sermon at Cornerstone. If you live in the Tulsa area, we'd love to invite you to be a part of our worship community in person. You can find service times and more information at our website. But wherever you are, may the Lord bless you and keep you. May he make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. May he turn his face towards you and give you peace.